Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Procino Wells and Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Amber Woodland, one of the attorneys at Persino Wells and Woodland, and I'm joined today by Michelle Persino Wells. We're excited to discuss elder law in the basic sense of the term today, so let's get started. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amber. Thanks. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about elder law. Yeah, so let's just jump right into the term elder law. Yeah, so elder law, yeah, it's, it's a term that um, that gets used a lot nowadays with our aging um, population, but it, it really, it covers a lot of things. It covers estate planning um, for seniors. It covers sometimes doing guardianship work for older adults. It can include asset protection planning, which I think we're going to talk more about. Um, it covers estate and trust administration after someone passes away. So it really is a broad term. Um, it often is used, though, kind of in a small way, really to talk about that, that sort of asset protection planning from long-term care mm -hmm. um, from the cost of long-term care so I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about that um, and have some upcoming episodes about that as well yeah so within our firm we like to talk about it in in terms that folks can understand and relate to you know we help families right. Right. create estate plans so an estate plan as we've covered in our other podcast wills trust powers of attorney advanced health care directives make up a good estate plan but we also help families protect assets from the cost of long-term care. And most of our clients are seniors and their families, and we're helping them navigate through the estate planning piece, but that also includes asset protection from the cost of long-term care. So are all elder law attorneys the same? <laughs> yeah, and that kind of goes back to my initial comment about how you see that term elder law used a lot. You see it on a lot of attorney websites nowadays, mm -hmm. but you'll also see next to it that they'll do your real estate settlement, that they'll handle your divorce, they'll handle your kids, you know, DUI. And so now you have to be really, really careful when choosing an elder law attorney because they're not all the same. Um, and certain areas of elder law are incredibly complex where, you know, you're looking at federal laws and state laws and you have to make sure, you have to make sure that you know what you're doing um, to try to help people find the right elder law attorney, whether it's us, Mm -hmm. or another firm, mm -hmm. um, we have created a, a, a top 10 questions, um, sort of a one-page document that, you know, a client can get on our website or, or a person, I should say, can get on our website. And it's a list of questions to ask a potential attorney. And if that attorney can't rattle off thorough answers to those questions, that's going to give you a really good clue that that's probably not the best attorney for the job. Um, you know, we're also members of Elder Council, which is a national organization of elder law attorneys. Um, so if people are in states, you know, we practice in Delaware and Maryland, but if people are listening that are in other states, their website is a really great resource to try to find qualified elder law attorneys. But even there, you got to be careful. You got to make sure you're asking those good questions. Right. We always do things like our educational events in the community and our podcasts and content on our website and handouts because it's important to us to educate the community. Right. We're not necessarily saying you have to work with us, <laughs> right. but just make sure you're picking the right attorney for the job. You know, you right. want someone who's really focused in this area of the law, understands the rules. They're so complex. They're federally and state-based. Right. So just try to resist the urge of just going to any attorney that maybe handled a prior matter for you if they're not experienced in elder law related issues. Exactly. 
So really the point of this episode is to dig in a little bit to long-term care costs and this piece of elder law that we call asset protection planning for the cost of long-term care. So I think in order to set the stage, you've got to talk about the levels of long-term care. So if a loved one needs assistance with their activities of daily living, whether it be dressing, bathing, eating, transferring, where can they receive care? I guess let's start there. So levels of care, generally when you're looking at long-term care, there's gonna be three different options for care. Um, first of all, you know, care at home, because everybody, everyone wants to keep their loved ones at home as long as, as possible, and as long as that person can be safely cared for at home. So most states have, you know, home and community-based waiver programs when you're looking at long-term long-term care benefits. Um, and then sort of next step when a person maybe, you know, can't stay at home, um, but they don't s still need full skilled nursing care, they could, they could be appropriate um, for an assisted living level of care, assisted living facilities. Um, I've visited some assisted living facilities that you feel like I was kind of back in like my college apartment where there's activities and there's people and they're beautiful. Um, and then you have certainly full skilled nursing care. So skilled nursing facilities, what people typically think of as a nursing home. And that's when a person really needs 24 hour care and supervision. Um, so it's really important um, for people to be realistic. I think it's something that unfortunately we see with our clients um, to really, you know, like I said, everyone wants to stay at home as long as possible, but sometimes that's really not the best and the safest environment for a person. I think we should give a shout out to our local professional sources. You know, there are Absolutely. incredible home-based yes. community home care providers that we can refer to. There are incredible assisted living facilities locally, skilled nursing facilities locally. Yes. And it's all about finding the right setting for your loved one to receive the care that they need in right. a comfortable in a comfortable place. Absolutely. <clears throat> and everyone's opinion of the different levels of care in the different local facilities are different. It's a, 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 right. it's a subjective thing. Absolutely. Everybody feels differently about different places. Uh, but can you distinguish between a, a traditional facility type setting and a continuing care retirement community? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, where our office, our Seaford office is located just down the road um, from the Manor House facility, and it is a continuing care retirement community. Um, and there are others. And it's a type of, of community where typically you're going to pay um, a pretty big entry fee um, to, to be able to move into that community. But what that fee entitles you to is care for the rest of your life. Um, typically, their models are also that you're going to pay a monthly fee. Um, but they're going to, you know, lots of people move into those those types of communities where they're completely independent. And perhaps you move into a little cottage. Mm -hmm. And then as your care needs increase or as you get older, you know, maybe you'll move from that cottage into an apartment. And if you need assisted living level of care at some point, you move into perhaps a different section of the community where there's assisted living services. And then if you need full skilled nursing care, they have a health center where you can receive skilled care. Um, and so typically people are privately paying for that care where, again, like I said, they're going to pay a, a fairly large upfront fee and then a monthly fee. But that monthly fee is generally much less than what they would pay if they just someday had to move into a, a skilled nursing facility.
Awesome, thanks. I think it's important to distinguish the c continuing care retirement communities. We call them CCRCs from either home-based assisted living or traditional skilled nursing home settings. So if we're just going to today focus on the, the primary three levels of care, will you just go over average cost of care? And we use a Genworth study every year to kind of give us a local average for cost of care. But then we also see that truly the local numbers can be even higher than what these statistics show. So just generally speaking, if a person needs 40 to 50 hours of in-home care, how much would the family expect to spend for, for an in-home caregiver? Yeah, Amber, I'm really glad you asked that question because the numbers can be staggering. And Genworth does a really good job of, of this survey. Their website is really cool. You can get on there and really look at the numbers from any state. And you can actually, you know, if you wanted to see what the anticipated cost would be in, you know, 2025, you can scroll across. But in general, um, what, what Genworth is showing currently is for in-home care, and like Amber said, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week, roughly, you're looking at about $56,000 a year and about $4,500 a month. Um, for that assisted living facility level of care, about $66,000 a year or $5,500 a month. You're going to have a lot of fluctuation there depending on the facility and how much care is required, but that is a good average. So for those skilled nursing facilities, you're going to see about $130,000 a year or about $11,000 a month. And honestly, this number always, always puzzles me a little bit because, you know, our experience with our clients, we see it a little higher than that. You know, we're generally seeing anywhere from twelve dollars to even $14,000 a month. So they're big numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's why we like to talk about this, because we want to want people to know that there are planning opportunities um, that people can can help figure out how to pay for care um, and not have to spend the, those dollars out of pocket for an extended period of time. We ask every single one of the families we serve if they're worried about paying for long-term care. And some of them have gone through a personal experience and know how much long-term care costs. Others are often really surprised when we throw out these big figures. If a loved one needs to go into a nursing home, their life savings could be depleted in a really short period of time. And so that kind of lends us to, if a loved one is facing a nursing home bill of $13,000 a month, what are the payer sources? How are we going to consider paying that bill that could equate to six figures annually? Right. So um, Medicare, so, you know, Medicare is, um, you know, generally health insurance for older Americans. Um, it's something that you're entitled to. You could be a billionaire and you're eligible for Medicare as opposed to Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid is the need-based um, health insurance program that the government offers. So big misconception, people often think that Medicare is going to help pay for long-term care, and it's very limited. At most, um, Medicare will pay for part of up to 100 days, and for 80 of those days, there's going to be a pretty significant copay. So generally, Medicare really is not a, a payer source for long-term care. That's a big myth, I think. Um, it, it is a huge myth and something mm -hmm. that people often understand. Or even if they have the, a supplemental insurance mm -hmm. along with their Medicare, you know, that's going to offer them some coverages, but it's, and it'll help with that copay um, during those 100 days. But again, that's going to be it. They're not going to provide any kind of extended benefit.
I think it's helpful in that context to think about it as medical care is covered by health insurance. Long-term custodial care is just something that health insurance simply doesn't pay for. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So for folks that planned ahead and purchased long-term care insurance policies, um, that insurance does cover long-term care, but people have to be really careful with that. I found so much that people have a really sort of false sense of security sometimes when they have long-term care insurance because you have to be really um, aware of what it covers. Um, you know, we're seeing care at costing about $400 a day, roughly. And I just had a client come to me and they had a long-term care policy. Well, it paid $100 a day. $300 shortfall. Right. Mm -hmm. So while that's helpful, I mean, you're not going to turn away, you know, roughly $3,000 a month. But when the total cost is between twelve and $13,000, mm -hmm. you are still having to dip into pocket significantly. I've also had clients come and show me policies that are amazing. They they pay, you know, a $350 a day benefit mm -hmm. and they have a half a million dollar, you know, total limit. So you just have to be really careful and understand what that coverage, what it covers, you know, will it cover home care? Um, does it cover or assisted living care, to, you know, they pretty much all of those policies cover skilled nursing, but you have to be really aware of what you have. Mm -hmm. And we never want the families we serve to think, oh, I have long-term care insurance, therefore I don't need to consider any additional planning. Right. Because there could be an opportunity for them to leverage the long-term care insurance with some planning that we talk about in other episodes. So we love it when our clients have long-term care insurance. <laughs> right, right, because it's just one more payer source. Right, yeah. And that's what we're trying to figure out. How can we pay for care without having to to deplete all of your assets, you know, yeah. and and pay use your life savings, mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's the other option. Right, you know, that is the other option um, where people can just privately pay for care. You know, they write a check every month, or their family members, or whomever they they pay for it out of pocket, and you know, most people don't have enough you know, liquid assets to do that for a long, long time. Um, so they typically have to sell assets, sell real estate, liquidate life insurance policies, cash out the IRA um, to come up with that cash to continue paying each month. Um, so it's an option, but not not a very, um, not a very fun one. No. You know, people that have to write those checks, um, it is devastating. Um, you know, we see that a lot with married couples where one spouse is receiving care and the spouse who's still at home, you know, is writing that huge check every month and it's devastating. And then certainly, and what we want to talk about, what we want to educate our, our audience about are long-term care benefits that are available um, through the state, through the Medicaid program, um, and through the Veterans Administration, um, which is the aid and attendance program. Um, so that's, we're going to, we're going to have whole episodes <laughs> on the eligibility rules for those programs, but those are need-based programs. So um, they're going to look at a person's assets, their income. You know, both of those programs are ultimately based on federal law, but have completely separate eligibility rules. Um, but that's the planning that we do. You know, we want to help families determine, can they add one of those benefit programs as a payer source um, by doing some planning? Mm -hmm. Um, to plan, you know, to qualify under the eligibility rules for those programs. And that's what allows people to receive care without going completely broke. I think something that folks don't realize is 
Long-term care benefits like Medicaid and VA don't pay for 100% of the cost of care. Our clients who achieve eligibility for those benefits still are typically contributing towards the cost of care, but this is just adding that payer source, like you said, to stretch their assets, to ensure that they're receiving the care that they need. And I, I think that that lends itself nicely to the goals of why a person would even want to engage in asset protection plan why we do the work that we do, why we qualify folks for long-term care Medicaid and veterans benefits, aid and attendance benefits. So we refer to the goals of asset protection planning all the time. And I think to start off, we need to emphasize that when we're doing this planning, the client is typically the senior, the person who needs care. It's not their kids. <laughs> right, it's, right. you know, it's the, it's the person who is in need of care, even if we might be working with their power of attorney, you know, their agent right. under their power of attorney. So we have to sometimes remind kids that one of the very first goals of doing this planning is we're ensuring that there's a payer source for your loved one's needs. Right. We always want to make sure that the person is receiving the care that they need in the appropriate environment, um, because unfortunately, you know, we've seen it way too many times. People will put off getting care for their loved ones because they're afraid of paying for it. Right. And so, when we can come in and help families understand that they can shelter assets, they don't have to spend everything. That they can perhaps, you know, receive benefits eligibility for care at home, because mm -hmm. that's the other big myth. They think that they're only going to be able to receive care in a facility, and they don't want that. So, yeah, that I mean, and that's I think what we love about doing this kind of work is that we're able, you know, to help people get the care that they need, but also help them shelter assets. And in the facility-based setting, the facilities are happy too because they're getting paid. Right. You know, if, if a client is privately paying $14,000 a month, that gets old yeah. quickly. Right. And so when we can add in an additional payer source, it's guaranteeing too that the local facilities are receiving payment for the services they're providing. So I think that's really important. But there's really three other goals right. that we like to discuss. So why don't you talk about some okay. of the other goals of asset protection planning? Sure. So like I like I said, you know, preserving a nest egg, you know, that's really important to people. Um, you know, when we are able to work with the senior, oftentimes that's their most important goal. You know, they they they've you know it's the same they talk about how they've worked so hard and they scrimped and they saved and they, you know, they accumulated some assets and then the thought of those assets having to all be spent on care is really devastating. So preserving that nest egg so that once they do re start receiving benefits, they do have some assets available to them for other things. You know, even with Medicaid supplemental insurance, Medicaid, there's still going to be some things that won't be covered. You know, there's limited benefits for things like dentures or eyeglasses or hearing aids. And so preserving a nest egg is going to make sure that there are still assets available to that person so that they have best quality of life possible. Um, probate avoidance is going to be a goal of this planning. So probate, you know, that's the process of settling a person's estate when they pass away that typically is overseen by the Register of Wills Office and the Court of Chancery. And, you know, it's a whole thing. Um, so when a person does asset protection planning, sort of like a, it's sort of like a, a side benefit almost, um, that when they eventually pass away, there's going to be very little administration that has to be done because they've essentially administered all of their assets during their lifetime. So that is a really nice additional benefit. And then leaving a legacy. 
Yeah, that's the thing that, again, when we're able to, to work directly with the senior, um, that's something that is typically very, very important to them. The kids usually like it too. <laughs> you know, the kids sometimes, the ones who aren't quite as subtle as others, say, okay, how do we hide mom's money? But it's not about hiding anything. You know, we disclose all the planning that we do, but leaving a legacy um, leaving an inheritance for um, the family is really, really important to a lot of our clients. You know, we always want to first make sure that the client is properly cared for. Um, and we want to make sure that there are assets available to that the client doesn't have to go completely broke um, while they're receiving benefits. Um, but then, like I said, the clients typically are also very interested in leaving a legacy for their family. It's important to someone who's saved their entire lifetimes to typically leave that, whether it's to their children or to charity or to right. other loved ones and family members. I mean, we don't run across folks that often who say, I'm okay if my lifetime's worth of savings gets depleted in a number of three years right. paying for my long-term care. Right. So, you know, we absolutely feel passionate about what we do. We love helping families in the community determine how they're going to pay for care while still sheltering assets and leaving that legacy. We use all the time in our educational events a pyramid that really outlines the levels of asset protection planning, or we refer to it as kind of like the phases of asset protection planning. We're going to have entire episodes coming up about the different levels of asset protection planning, but just generally, can you tee that up so that our listeners know coming up what they can expect to hear about the different phases? Sure. So, you know, we've seen that pyramid so many times. I can picture it yeah. in my mind. So, you know, you picture it. Okay. So right now, listeners, picture a pyramid. Yep. Okay. And it's triangle. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah a tri <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> And imagine horizontal lines, it's broken into three sections, okay? And the, the widest part at the bottom, it says pre-planning. And so pre-planning is appropriate for someone who doesn't think that they're going to need long-term care within the next five years. And so obviously, none of us ever know that for sure. But, you know, if you if a person you know isn't having any significant health issues, you know, they've not been diagnosed with any type of dementia or or other disease that could perhaps lead lead to dementia, they're going to be a pre-planning candidate. We're going to talk to you um, about asset protection trust in, in future episodes. And so um, that's a great way for people to plan in advance where we create a certain type of trust, transfer assets to it. And after five years, the assets in that trust are completely protected. So if a person wants to, to apply for those government benefit programs, um, the assets in that trust are going to com be completely off the table um, and completely sheltered. And we can disclose to Medicaid that that trust or to VA that that trust exists. It's all perfectly permitted under state and federal law. The center part of the pyramid is intermediate planning. There, it, it varies a lot depending on a person's situation. That's appropriate for someone who maybe does have some kind of diagnosis and they think that they might need care before five years, but they don't need care right now. And there's different planning strategies depending on a person's situation. At that stage, we can roughly shelter 80, 60 to 80 percent mm -hmm. of assets. And then at the very top of the pyramid, if you can picture that, it's crisis planning. Um, so crisis planning is appropriate when a person needs care right now. So they're either perhaps already in a facility or they have caregivers coming into the house where they're already receiving care. Maybe they're already privately paying for it. Or maybe they're at the hospital and the doctors are saying, you know, this person has to go to a long-term care facility. Um, so care is either already happening or it's needed immediately. 
in that case, there's planning, again, different strategies, um, but planning that can be done usually to shelter at least 50% of a person's assets. A lot of analysis has to go into that. So that's one of the big myths out there that people think if they didn't plan in advance that it's too late. And that's just simply not true. If there are assets left, there's still planning opportunities. Awesome. I, we enjoy the crisis planning because it's strategic. Right. There are no two cases <laughs> that are the same. We feel like we're really providing a service to our families because it's a highly emotional, stressful time. And they're dealing with the financial aspect of paying for care. And I, I think we should just end this episode to just say, if your loved one has received a Parkinson's diagnosis, an Alzheimer's diagnosis, dementia, has you know lasting effects from a stroke that requires that custodial level of care, when, when should they reach out to an elder law attorney? Is it ever too late to do that or too soon to do that? I think a question we get all the time is, how old should I be when I call up an elder law attorney? So could we just wrap up maybe today's yep. episode with that? So if those questions are on a person's mind, then it's not too soon. Um, you know, that pre-planning, we do that as part of just estate planning. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk to people about wills and powers of attorney and trusts and asset protection trusts, and then they can decide whether the timing is appropriate or not for that type of planning. And then, like I said, the crisis planning, you know, it's never too late. If there are assets left, um, you know, even if a person has been already in a facility and pay, paying privately for years, and we've seen that, mm -hmm. which is so devastating. Um, but if there are assets left, there's planning that can be done to shelter usually about 50% of those assets. And sometimes in married couples, even more than right. that. Right. Oh, married couples. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Married couples, um, you know, generally you can shelter the bulk of their assets. And that's really important, especially in that home care um, environment. You know, that is one of the most rewarding areas of our practice when we can help that caregiver spouse get help mm -hmm. at home and preserve their assets. Right. Um, that's, that's incredible. Right. Awesome. So much good information in today's episode. And, and like I mentioned, in the upcoming episodes, we're really going to dig deeper into the eligibility rules and the planning opportunities. So stay tuned for that. Thanks, Michelle. My pleasure. Thanks for being with us today on Off the Clock. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at pwwlaw.com. Of course, you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com. We're here to help you plan today to protect your families tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.